What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I wanted to just throw this in in the beginning. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. That really helps our numbers. Check out the merch store at brennantcomedy.com slash merch store to get your ex-drinking buddy merch. And if you really want to, subscribe on Patreon, patreon.com slash brennantassif. That really helps me out. Thank you so much. Enjoy the episode. Grab me a beer and grab him a coat. We about to sit for an hour bullshit and tell jokes. And please don't mix it up, cause he done sobered up. Brandon T. Comedy on your social media feeds. And Brandon Tassib is your ex drinking buddy. Brandon Tassib is your ex drinking buddy. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another edition of Brennan Tassif is your ex-drinking buddy. I am your host, Brennan Tassif. If you're new to the program, quick rundown of the show. I used to be everyone's favorite drinking buddy. It was my favorite thing to do, hang out with friends, get drunk, do drugs, get in all sorts of trouble, and then reminisce about those crazy stories. I am sober now, but that is still one of my favorite things to do, hang out with the guest and reminisce about the crazy old days. Most weeks, I will be joined by a guest. This week is no exception. (laughs) All the way from New York City via Alabama, Drew Tessier. How are you doing, y'all? I'm happy to be here. What's up, man? I'm good. This How, is exciting. Yeah, we've thank been you trying so to make this happen for a while. For a while now, yes. Thank you so much for coming on. A uh, couple of things. Plug everything up front. I know you have the the Queer Comedy Festival, your social media, everything. Let everybody know where they can find you. Uh, yeah. So I will probably talk about this in a second. I did create the New York Queer Comedy Festival, which just started uh, last week in February. Our next show is going to be the 25th at Broadway Comedy Club. I think that's right. Is it 25th or 23rd? Uh, Broadway Comedy Club, 9.30 p.m., 9 o'clock p.m. God, I'm really killing this already. <laughs> uh, you can follow me on everything at Drew Tessier NYC. Uh, I this is kind of how I know Brennan. I run open mics here in the city. So yes. if you want to get up on stage, come and see me. Absolutely. And uh, and uh, run shows kind of all over the city. So all right. So yeah, check it out. You always post on the social media where everything is happening. So you said it's Drew Tessier NYC. Correct. Perfect. And we'll link everything uh, in the show notes. I've been excited to have you on. Like you said, we. I, I mean, I met you when I first moved to New York about a year and a half ago, and I've been trying to coordinate with you. Um, to get on the show because you do have a, a, a lot of fun stories and some of them you talk about on stage. But I want the listeners to kind of get to know Drew a little bit because you are a mainstay, obviously, in the New York comedy scene. Oh, thanks. Um, but it, uh, some of the stuff you talk about that you did in your life before coming to New York is really interesting. So you grew up in the South. Grew up in the South. My dad was military, so we traveled around a lot. But I spent most of my time... In Alabama, so okay. including college. I went to Auburn. So even though- Go Tigers. You know, my- uh, Yeah. Where you go? Uh, so even though oh, my- uh, saying, It's saying we have two mascots. It's cool. You do, right? That's how we do it in Alabama. Yeah. Okay. They, in Alabama, you know, Roll Tide and the, the, the elephant. elephant. So it's, you know, you know how rednecks be. <laughs> um, so- uh, yeah, I, even though my parents aren't necessarily Southern, uh, I, I, I feel very Southern because I spent most of my, my life growing up there. Okay. And so- um, a couple of things, just because, again, I, I don't want you to think I'm just like setting you up to do bits because I know you talk about it on stage, but this is something I find genuinely interesting. I love having guests on where you're kind of out of the realm of what would be perceived as normal. Now, gro- <laughs> but you know what I mean? Sure. Like growing up as a, you know, a gay kid in the South, me, you know, growing up, I'm a big fucking nerd, but I played sports my whole life. But like I cry at gum commercials. So everyone looks at me and sees like, oh, alpha, like, Ugh. but it's like, no, man, Same. like. I cry <laughs> like I cry at the drop of a hat. Right. And for you growing up, because um, again, 
I'm going to keep reiterating it so people don't think I'm just being stereotypical. Drew talks about it on stage. <laughs> Growing up as a gay kid in the South, um, was that was that something that was challenging or was that something that you just kind of accepted or like I how mean, did that I go? Guess, yeah, it probably should have been more challenging than it was. I mean, I and, and like you said, I do say on stage, I was the only gay person I had ever met. Now, I did not come out. At the time, it was young. I came out in college. Okay. Uh, so I, I actually started I, – I graduated young. I graduated when I was 17 years old from high school. I did one year at Troy State University. Um, I had a scholarship to be the mascot there, uh, which was T-Roy the Trojan. Mm -hmm. Then I transferred to Auburn. So I had sort of like come out, did a lap around the bed, went back in, and then you know there was one girlfriend <laughs> I had never heard of. Like, <laughs> did a lap around the bed and then went back in. Uh, then then you know kind of once once she and I broke up, then kind of came out for real. Um, but you know was the only gay guy in a theater department. You know yeah. again referencing my jokes, I do have a joke that, that I say in the South they're not homophobic, they are homo disbelieving. I mean, yeah, we just, just don't exist. I'm sure it's changed, but. I've been in New York 20 years now, so. So what was the um, kind of the catalyst? Because you had referenced it just then, but you, you were, um, you won a national championship for uh, A state correct? championship. Yeah, a state yeah, championship. I, I, I didn't ever compete in college nationals. I went to Auburn to be Aubie. I mean, yeah. that was the plan. And they, um, you know, obviously have a huge football program, have a huge cheerleading program. Aubie is a very well-known mascot in the mascot streets uh but uh and he wins uh college nationals a lot mm -hmm. and is always in top five if he doesn't win that year um i went to auburn i auditioned one year i made it through semifinals made it into the finals did not get picked that year and then by the time it rolled around the next year, I gotten so involved with theater, it just wasn't really important to me okay. anymore. So I, I never did Aubie, even though that's kind of the reason I wanted to go there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, life just sort of takes you in different directions. Well, this is I love having you on because that's something where just piecing things together from the the stuff you that I hear you talk about on stage and just in the conversations we have. I was under the impression that you were like full on mascot all the way up until you came to New York. Like that's what you were doing. So I was a mascot in high school, did one year in college. Um, I was recruited when I was in high school by the National Cheerleading Association to be a mascot instructor. Okay. So I taught for NCA, although which kind of will you'll see sort of a theme <laughs> in my career this whole time where I went in to do sort of a performance slash teaching thing, which was the mascot, found out that the guys that were running the superstore, who were the sales dudes, mm -hmm. made more money and worked less. And I was like, oh, no, sign me up for that. <laughs> so I actually ended up going more in a sales direction. I had it when I first moved to the city. It was such a such a jewel, like cushy job. Uh, I ran all of the what they called the superstores uh, at the big cheerleading uh competitions okay. so every weekend i would fly uh to to nashville or to vegas or to daytona or to la i would set up the entire store um sell the shit out of everything box it up send it back and i got paid commission on that so i was working like four days a month and and could live yeah you know, it was a great job and when i was coming through there were two different cheerleading um divisions there was the national cheerleading association the universal cheerleading association when, once i got into that job when i lived in new york uh uca bought nca um and then my job disappeared and so that was the end of my my cheerleading tenure okay so then from there 
how did you find because you you mentioned theater and you've always been obviously a performer mm -hmm. how did you find comedy so when I first moved to the city, my best friend, uh, who's straight, who also went to Auburn with me, you know, I also, I lucked out and I didn't realize it until I turned about 30. But when I moved here, I moved here with like 10 people that I went to college with. So mm -hmm. I had, it was, it was like friends. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it really network, was. Yeah. We had like three, we all lived between us in three different buildings, you know, 30 people every Thanksgiving, every Easter. I mean, it was really, and then slowly, you know, people peeled off and got married and moved back home. And then I was sort of the last one standing at 30. I was like, fuck, I have there made, can only be one Highlander. I have met no friends in this fucking city. Um, but uh, my buddy that went straight into stand up comedy right after college, you okay. know, he was cute and from the South and funny. And I mean, the New Yorker did an article on stand-up comedy. He was picked as the up-and-comer. Wow! So I was around it all the time. Yeah. But I was drinking. I mean, I was, I was drinking. You know, I was just out partying with comics without actually getting on stage. So it was like the worst part yeah. of the lifestyle, and not even taking advantage because, you know, when I was coming through in my twenties, I didn't, I did not see a whole lot of out comedians. I mean, mm -hmm. it's insane how much life has changed in such a short amount of, even in New York, you know, there was one host in Midtown. There's a, a club. It's not even there anymore. It was called Ha, a comedy club that was in Just Times H Square. Ha. H ha. 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 Comedy club, which was my buddy's main club. Um, and this dude would get on stage and call himself a faggot. It was like going to the zoo to see a gay guy. And, you know, that's just <laughs> not, I didn't want to do that. And I didn't know how to get on stage and be gay. And I didn't know how to get on stage and not be gay mm -hmm. you know so i just didn't and a lot of it was fear and you know i was i was insecure about uh the open mics at the time which we can talk about later but that's you know why my open mics are so important to me and like giving young comics the best experience they can possibly get out of an open mic because when i was coming through they just didn't exist they yeah. were dark sad rooms with straight dudes in their 20s you know telling rape jokes and there was i mean it was just i didn't get anything i didn't see how to get anything out of it um so i didn't get on stage uh until much later and what's funny is you know uh the buddy i'm referencing sort of hovered in that middle and he you know he did some really great things during that time you know for about 15 years he went to la for a while but finally about the time that you know i was he's we're about the same age he's a little younger so i was probably about 30 Eight, that he was like, um, I just I can't do this anymore. Like it's oh, not, really? it's not, it's not happening for me. I don't want to do this. It does not make me happy. Uh, and he went back to the south. Uh, it was about the time I was like, I'm going to give this a shot. <laughs> uh, so he and I never really had any overlap. N not much. I mean, he did do a show. He used to host a show uh, at a barbecue restaurant here that was cool that I did once. But for the most part, we had sort of separate orbits in the comedy world. So now that you're in comedy, and I definitely want to talk about the mics because that's something that, um, and I've referenced it before on the show, but coming from Jacksonville and then even before that, South Florida, even when I lived in Oklahoma City, these smaller scenes, the mics are very similar to shows in a lot of mm -hmm. ways, almost like a showcase because there's not an oversaturation of the market. So, you know, there's certain mics, certain days, and there's always like at least three or four just regular people there. So you can actually get a gauge of like what's going on. And then I moved to New York and the first couple of mics I went to, because it took me a little while before I found yours, but the first couple of mics I went to, I was like, 
oh, comedy's going to be easy. Because right. I was like meeting, like I met Tori Cole and like I met like, you know, Cody Lewis and, uh, you know, the Hell Yeah Comedy guys and Julian and Billy and all these people. And I was like, oh, this is going to be cake. Like I'm getting booked on shows from meeting people. Like this is going to be so easy. And then I didn't see any of those people again for like yeah. six months. It's wild. I mean, and again, I've been <clears throat> at it now a while. I run six open mics every week. Part of my job with Broadway and Greenwich Village Comedy Clubs is to kind of keep an eye on new talent mm -hmm. coming in. And I mean, I mean, I feel like every week I find some new pocket of comedy in the city that I just, I don't even have any connection to. It's, it is wild how many, in every, but that's not just comedy. It's everything in New York. Yeah. That's, I yeah. mean, I think it, what's it's the what's, hub for everything. Right. I mean, I think that's the first thing is anybody doing anything performance related or art related, mm -hmm. you know, cause I've also been in the fashion world and you know, that you, you get to college and you realize that suddenly you're surrounded with everybody that was the most talented person at their high school. Yep. And then you get here and you realize that you're now surrounded by everybody that was the most talented person at their college. I mean, it is just like you go to any open mic or piano bar or just the amount of insane talent just that we're swimming in all yeah, the time. I went to a show in Brooklyn just to meet up with a friend. Uh Lauren, she was a friend of the show. She's been on before, but she was in town from Tampa. I was like, hey, what show are you going to? Let's meet up. And I'm just, you know, we're sitting in the back of the room. And then the people they're calling up on stage, like a list of credits. Yeah. And I'm like, we're at like a like a taqueria in Brooklyn. Like, what the fuck is going on? But it's just such an oversaturation. But that's the one thing I did want to say. And 100% to your credit for nurturing the mic and making it what it is. There's only a few mics now that I've kind of like I've been around to a bunch of mics and I've kind of established which ones I like. And yours is definitely at the top of the list because it's one of those things where even if it's not a lot of times it's more high energy than you'd think for a mic. And even if it's not, there is honest feedback. And a lot of it, too, is like even if I say a bit, sometimes when I come off stage, you or some of the other like more seasoned comics would be like, hey, why don't you try it like this? And there's no animosity. There's no like shut the fuck. It's always like, oh, yeah, I, I could do that. Or even if we razz each other like, you know, like, hey, you, you know, this isn't a open mic for premises. Like you might want to write some punchlines. It still is like it's like. It's very constructive. Even if we do it in like a silly, jokey way, it's still incredibly constructive because as a storyteller, my biggest problem when I got here, because I had spent 10 years finding this voice. Mm -hmm. And then I got here and I was told by people in New York, bookers and stuff like, hey, New York is bang, bang, bang. Like you can't tell stories like it's bang, bang, bang. And so I've been trying to adjust some of my writing style that way. And you've been, you know, incredibly helpful with that, because if, even if I do like a joke and I have like two or three tags, You'll be like, like just cut, like just clean it up, like just that one tag. That's all you need. Just boom, hit it, and then move on. And that's been super helpful. And you don't get that. At, I mean, I, I speaking from personal experience, that's not a lot of mics. I so, mean, I've gotten to where I just think and set up, set up punchline. I mean, when I'm like, da 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 da. You know, one of my favorite stories about that. There's a comic, it's a queer comic who I adore, named Justin Randall, and he has a joke that he does that is one of my favorite jokes in the world. That I recently came out to my parents while they were visiting New York. Uh, while taking them to see Pippin on Broadway. Go big or go home, right? They went home. <laughs> uh, and I told him, I was like, that is one of my favorite jokes. And he said, you know, that used to be a big, long story. Mm -hmm. and, I, and he just whittled it all the way down to, you know, bump, bump, bump. Yeah. Um, you know, people ask me how, the how I sit through so many open mics all the time. I find it endlessly fascinating. I mean, I really, one, I do enjoy just hearing about people and mm -hmm. stories and, and, and whatnot. But... You know, I say all the time, you know, for some of these people in this room, um, 
This is as far as they're ever going to get. They've made it to New York. They are sitting in a comedy club. They are getting on stage. They're surrounded by the comedy community. And this may be, you know, as far as it goes for them, which is still miles ahead of yep. so many people in this country that never even had the balls to get on a plane or mm-hmm. go to their first open or mic even get, or yeah, write get their first stage. joke. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 100%. You know. But you're also sitting with people that are going to be famous. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a weird dynamic. Yeah, it's wild. And, you know, I am aware, because I'm told all the time when people are visiting, that New York is just about the only place where you have to pay for open mics, mm-hmm. uh, which is wild. You know, that not only are we not getting paid to get on stage, but we are paying for the right to get on stage for five minutes. Um, I'm very lucky that I have a deal with the club where at least you don't have to buy a drink while you're in there, which is also a whole other thing with, you There's know, a lot of alcoholism and, buy, and yeah, yeah. you know, the scene is that we're basically encouraged to drink mm-hmm. all the time and you've got, you Starting know, an hour to kill, right. Yeah. You've got an hour to kill in between sets. We're already at a bar. Fine. I'll have a beer, you know, and it just, beca- and that's why I've tried really hard to never, drink before I go on stage because I don't want to know that I'm funnier after a couple of drinks. Mm-hmm. Like, I, if, if I have a drink, it will be at the end of the night after I've finished all my sets. You know, I might have a beer before I go home, but I, I try really hard to not ever get stoned or or drink before I go on. But all that to say, I just want everyone to feel like they have gotten their $5 worth, you know, when they've gotten out of a mic that – because it's it's so hard to get – on real shows in this city it's, and yeah, yeah I, I try to make it feel like a show as much as i possibly can yeah and that's the thing too is that um at one o'clock in the afternoon it's <laughs> my favorite one normally that's the hottest one i mean i don't know i don't go to the five but <laughs> the one normally we, we're tearing it up but the thing that i um and this is the last thing we'll say about it and then we'll get into some of the stories but the thing that i do love about it and i tell comics this especially from florida when they come to visit i go you got to go to an open mic and they're like yeah but i hear the open mics are super hard and they suck and you got to pay i go listen 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 if you go to the open mic and do it forever, the rest of your life, you can say, I've done comedy in New York City. Hmm? And that's, I mean, that's the penalty, that's the ultimate goal for most comics is to be able to perform. Nobody needs to know that it was at an open mic. Nobody needs to know. You, I, and it's true. You got on stage at a comedy club in New York City. Yeah. And that's like, you know, you can go home and ride that forever. Cause like You'll you always said, have that picture with, you know, whatever comedy yeah, club in, in the, the background. background. Yep. And it's so hard because there's so many people. Like, I've, I have friends, very close friends, friends that murder on stage. And I go, just come up here. And they go, ah, I kind of got a good thing going down here. And they just won't make the jump. And that's not a bad thing. No. But at the same time, it's very much like, oh, I'm – and my dad said this to me the last time I was home visiting. And it was something – I think I talked about it on stage, but it made me almost cry because – he was like, oh, you're in New York. You're doing it. And I go, Dad, I'm doing the same thing I was doing in Jacksonville. I'm recording the podcast. It's just at an ISER studio. Like, I'm doing open mics. They're just at comedy clubs instead of bars. And he goes, no, 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 no. He's like, you're the hero in this story. Like, people don't do that. To save $10,000, move across the country with no prospects of anything, and then just be like, no, this is what we're going to do. And so that's why I tell everybody all the time. And, of course, your mics. And then there's the comedy shop, uh, New Joke Wednesday, which is a lot of fun, too. But those there's certain mics where people I'm like, no, you got to go to the right mics because I hear these horror stories about other mics. And I'm like, why would you even do right, that? Like, right. Why would you even go to that? I love that story about your dad because I think it's so important when we're doing this, especially the moments that we're like, why are we doing this? Why am I To here? remember the people that have been rooting for you your mm-hmm. entire life. Yeah. Because, you know, to them – you are making. I mean, like this is huge. Again, yeah, like I just said about the mics. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's that's miles ahead of everybody else. You know, and and it's. 
I, I think we forget sometimes that even if we're, you know, the whole compare and despair to yeah. other guys in the scene, because everybody hits at different times and everybody has different successes and we're all just competing against what we did yesterday. But uh, I, I think it's, you know, it's it's nice to remember that there's people at home that are thinking, God, you know, he's really yeah, up No there matter what, it. your dad can yeah. always say my son is doing comedy. Anymore. No, he'll never be proud of me. But there are those. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I want to talk about it. Let's get into some of the stories that you sent me. Before we get into these, though, when did you – were you um, – I'm assuming you were incredibly popular when you were in high school? Uh, I I feel like I have always done well with people that get me. And, okay. you know, there have always been outlier. I mean, I guess nobody's nobody's liked by everybody. Uh, I was fine in okay. high school. I think there were those that didn't. Again, I was – this was a different time. I mean, the idea of being out in high school never crossed my mind. That has to be te- – yeah. I, I had just even... never seen it as reality. So it wasn't like there was a part of my soul thinking, oh, you know, I'm, I just – I can't believe I can't be who I am because I didn't know what it looked like to be yeah. out. You know, I, th- I mean, I graduated in 97. So – I mean, Will and Grace was just starting to come on the air. So there, there there was not a reality in my life of what it was like to be an out high schooler. Um, and that is something just to, to parlay that. That is something that's incredibly important. Like when people get pissed off that the new Ariel is black or that like when Black Panther came out and all these, you know, people in middle America were like, what the hell is going on and stuff. And living in these, I don't know if it's living in a major city or, you know, talking to people like you on a regular basis. But like having that representation means the whole world. Sure. Because... Like you just said, like there was no vision of it because you had never seen it before. Yeah. So I think it's incredibly important. And then I think obviously what you do with the Queer Comedy Festival is super important because it's like, no, like you like you said, you had said you'd never seen like you didn't want to be just the that person on stage. Like you wanted to be a comic who was also gay. You didn't want to be the gay comic. And to show people that that's not only possible but encouraged yeah. is is so awesome for so many people. Yeah, I think a lot of you know, comics sometimes will question the idea of a queer specific mic or a queer specific show or a queer specific scene, and like, well, if you know we're supposed to be inclusive, then you know what's going on here, or why when you get on stage do you only talk about gay sex? Well, I don't. I talk about sex, mm-hmm. but in my reality my sex is gay therefore that is what i am talking about just like you are it's just that yours is you know kind of been the more you know i hate to use the word normal but you know accepted you know sure sure and uh just to be clear drew's not talking about me specifically (laughs) but uh yeah so i mean i the point of my festival is to help queer comics get on main stages in Manhattan, because that's you know the, I'm 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 in the comedy scene within Manhattan. Yeah, um, there are kids doing very very well in Brooklyn that don't have any interest in doing comedy clubs in New York, and that's totally fine. Um, but the point of mine is to help get, uh, and I I speak very highly of the owner of of my clubs, the of Broadway and Greenwich. You know, he we were the first one to pass Jay McBride. Uh, before she was even passed at the Comedy Cellar, becoming the first trans comic passed into a major comedy club. Um, you know, Jay Jordan came through the industry room and has been a guest on my festival before. So, I mean, it, they have not just having the token gay, but at any given time, you know, they may have two or three queer comics doing 
out and proud comedy on a lineup, you know, in Midtown on an, on any given night. I, I really love the the clubs for that reason. And that's awesome because you did that. You helped mm. to do that. I helped it. <laughs> uh, so when did you start drinking? Because you, like you said, in high school you were kind of <laughs> yeah. Like, I grew up in the South, so the I mean, man, we, yeah, yeah. we drank in high school. Um, well, how? But specifically, like, do you remember the first time you got drunk, or was it just one of those things where it just first time happened? I got drunk? I'm also I was also a Boy Scout. Um, <laughs> so first time was at a camp out. Oh, this is disgusting. Uh, <laughs> somebody brought a bottle of uh, wild turkey. Oof. And we had that 101? one hot can of diet root beer. Ugh. And we were sitting in a circle. And this dipshit had made the rule that you had to take three shots before you were even allowed to chase with this. <laughs> God. I'm going to puke in my mouth just thinking about this story. Um, so, yeah, we're sitting around passing. None of us or I had not drank before. Uh, passing around this bottle of wild turkey. And then after three shots, being able to chase it with the diet root beer. Um, and then, of course, we all ended up puking the entire night. Yeah. And then one of the other first times, and I'll have to live with this for the rest of my life, Zima had just come out. <laughs> so one of the first times I got drunk was on Zima. That's what made me gay, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I wanted to talk about because I'm assuming the the Delta Lounge story has a lot to do with when you were traveling for work. So what happened with that? Moved up here in my early 20s, uh, originally to be performance theater, some direction. I have wanted to be a stand up comic my entire life. That is very true. I mean, I can remember, you know, as a kid watching, uh, I mean, Bill Cosby himself on a loop. You know, I could have done the whole thing, you know, which probably would have been problematic, but um, and not really problematic. But uh, now even yeah, yeah. now even worse. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres' early stuff. Um, I mean, there was a show that used to come on VH1 called VH1 Stand Up Spotlight that mm -hmm. was hosted by Rosie O'Donnell. I mean, I can still remember jokes, you know, from when I was in junior high or younger. You know, that just I watched. I just absorbed all of it. I love stand up comedy. Um, again, That's how moved I was to the with city. Like Premium Blend and Comedy Central presents, right? And all right that, which would have yeah. been the next yeah. iteration, sure. Um, Moved up here again. Did not go right in that direction. I was I was mainly partying and drinking. Um, and you know I've always I have to really monitor both my my marijuana smoking and my drinking. Always have. I mean, and and in my twenties is when it really I was uh, my ex boyfriend two boyfriends ago and I decided to start. He wanted to start a jewelry company. His background was in jewelry. It sounded fun that day. And that's what sort of sent me in this direction to working in fashion for the last 20 years. Um, so we started a company in 2006 uh, called Andrew Hamilton Crawford. Uh, the pill that I'm wearing right now is one Love of our it. pieces, which seemed appropriate for today. Um, and we owned a retail store. Is the company still around? Uh, he owns it in Savannah. Although, the, um, So we had a retail store called Monarch. We had the jewelry company, Andrew Hamilton Crawford. Uh, when we finally split it, he kept the jewelry company, I kept the retail store, and then I closed that a year later. And, okay. But he still has the company name, and, and it's based out of Savannah. Um, running a boyfriend, uh, running a boyfriend, running a company with an ex-boyfriend, you know, because basically it was like, I'm leaving you, I'll see you at work tomorrow, um, <laughs> was not easy. Uh, also... Uh, I never heard that joke before. That's hilarious. Also, the crap. You know, our company was doing so well. It was just getting bigger and bigger. And we were so young. We were in our 20s. 
Um, you know, we're on the cover of magazines and we had become That's fucking the, awesome. Um, one of the main brands at Henry Bindles on Fifth Avenue, which doesn't even exist anymore. And I mean, we're just killing it. And then 2008 happened and everything slammed and uh, our relationship was incredibly toxic and incredibly bad and business was bad. And that's when I really started drinking. You know, when I would get off work at uh, eight o'clock at night, by seven o'clock, I was already making a decision in my mind. Was I going to get a handle of Jack Daniels or was I going to get a magnum of falling star? <laughs> Malbec, which is so appropriate, uh, $8 a bottle for this big double bottle of Malbec. Uh, then I would go home and I would sit on the front stoop of my steps and I would either drink probably about half the bottle of Jack Daniels and smoke a pack of cigarettes or the entire magnum of Malbec, smoke a pack of cigarettes. I was convinced that I couldn't sleep unless I was hammered. Turns out red wine keeps you up at night. I didn't yeah, know that at the time. Lots of sugar. <laughs> um, so I would usually drink until I passed out at about three o'clock in the morning. Then I would wake up at about four o'clock in the morning and watch some sort of streaming show until I got up and then I would do it all over again. Wow. Uh, I was a zombie. So you were only getting um, like an hour or two of sleep a night? Uh, it, yeah. I mean, it was, I don't, I don't, I don't know how I was other. Oh, I was in my twenties, but I mean, yeah. I don't know late twenties, early thirties, but I don't know how I was functioning, but yeah, to, to I mentioned the Delta lounge cause I was f- traveling all the time for work. Um, was this with the uh, cheerleading with competition? The, no, with the, that was the, long gone. Okay. At that point. This was the jewelry company. This is the jewelry so company. I had a okay. showroom in New York, a showroom in Atlanta, a showroom in Dallas, um, so I was doing trade shows all the time. Jesus. Um, so I was traveling back and forth to Dallas, back and forth to Atlanta, back and forth to Chicago. This is why I love doing this show. I had no idea. Yeah, this, this is, is so the interesting. Past, the past life. Um, and so I spent a lot of time on airplanes, a lot of time in hotels, a lot of time on Delta lounges. And the Delta lounge in Detroit had a self-service bar. So you would walk into this fancy uh delta lounge and then i swear to christ it was like a card table like you were just at your uncle's poker game in the basement set up and i would literally go that's insane i would fill a cup to the top with jack daniels go to the bathroom dump it in a flask and then i would take that on the plane with me wow god yeah i was i was doing it (laughs) is is that why earlier you had mentioned you kind of have to monitor your intake now for sure so how long did that go on for uh I mean, I have a history of sort of just swapping one addiction out for another. So I was a stoner in college. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I drank and smoked in college. Uh, when I moved to New York, I was not smoking a whole lot of weed. In fact, you know, when when I was still with my jewelry company, I could buy like an eighth of weed Every three months. And oh, it wow. would like sit behind the bed and like once every couple of weeks, I'll be like, oh, we've got some wheat. You want to roll the joint? Yeah, sure. Why not? And I wasn't even – if I keep myself busy, <laughs> I don't usually have a problem getting – it's usually when I – time. I'm not good with time on, yeah. on my hands alone. Um, then I get fucked up. Um, don't I know. <laughs> <laughs> then – you know, the, the alcohol got a hold of me because I just really – I was so depressed. And I didn't think I was ever going to get out from underneath that company. I owed my parents money for starting that company. I mean, it was just really deep. Were you making Were you making good money with no. the company? Okay. No, no, no. I mean, I saw a lot of money go through my hands. That's the thing, yeah. But, I mean and, – and we didn't – so when we opened the store, which I thought – he was out of his mind when he wanted to open his the store. He came from a retail background. He came from a family 
that worked together. Mm -hmm. So it was very normal for them to scream at each other all day at work and then go to dinner that night, you know, like nothing had happened. And I, that was very foreign to me and I I didn't like it. I have a very similar kind of debt. Like we'll yell at each other and then two minutes later you're like, so what are we doing for dinner? Yeah. No, my parents, we don't talk about anything. So there's, (laughs) there's never been like, I've never, I mean, we, I've never had like an adult argument with anyone in my family. My dad's an only child. I have one brother, so I don't even have like the, the reference of like aunts and uncles being in my shit. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, that, I don't, I don't get that dynamic. Um, what the fuck was I talking about? We were um, talking about your, you were drinking so much you didn't think you were going to get out from under the company. You owed right. your parents' money. So then I met my next boyfriend, and at that point, and then I so I fell in love, and then I was like, oh, I don't have to work twenty four hours a day for a job that I and I, and I wasn't making that money. I was surviving. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the company paid my phone bill and meals while I was, you know, Working, traveling yeah. and stuff like that. So it's hard to really gauge how much I was or wasn't making, but also, you know, a half a bottle of Jack Daniels and a pack of cigarettes every night is very expensive. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, like, especially in the city. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, at that point, I think I had finally switched. I haven't smoked cigarettes in five years, but at that point I had switched to, thank you. I miss it every day. Uh, I had switched to American Spirits thinking no. I was making a healthier choice. And <laughs> at that point, I think they were 15 bucks a pack or something like that. God, that's I know so it's insane. Much. And when I was in high school, you could give somebody $2 for a pack of cigarettes and they were going to get to keep the change. Yeah. And yeah. Especially down there. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, and it's, I find it fascinating that you mentioned that you saw a lot of money go through your hands because I have friends that own their own companies. And like when you go there, especially people who deal in, fashion or like uh in my case it was like a lot of it was finer things like yeah. golds and jewelries and stuff like that so they'll have safes with like literally thousands sure. of dollars in cash in it and you go oh you're rich and they go no this is to buy more yeah. raw material yeah. to turn into th- like the raw material is very expensive right so it's like yeah you have hundreds of thousands of dollars but none of that's yours like yeah. you're gonna you have to use that to keep going so at the end of the day when all the dust settles you're like yeah i made like a thousand dollars and you're like what I mean, even, you know, the our, with the store, because, again, we ran them as separate entities. Yes, the store sold our jewelry, but the store also sold uh, handbags and lingerie, which is a whole other thing we can get into at some point. But um, our first year was our best year in business, which is unheard of, because where I was, there was a school across the street, and the Broadway Dance Company was renovating, and they were teaching their dance classes at the school across the street. So it was this constant... You know, a girl would come, buy a dress, go to a dance class, show it to all the girls. They would come and buy that out. And it was we were making so much money, but we didn't realize it because we were investing all of that Back into in, the jewelry company. Yeah. So, you know, we I, I think on paper for most of those years, I was paying myself twenty eight thousand dollars a year or something like that yeah. and paying taxes on it. I mean, again, there were there were perks with owning the company, but I was broke. God. So then after you get out, how did you get out from under the company eventually? Because you're drinking every day. Your life is just kind of in this weird So I met a new guy, fell in love. I was like, I'm miserable. I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, And that's sort of when I sort of pivoted not drinking quite as much and went back to smoking a lot of pot. Okay. So that's what sort of, uh, yeah, early 30s. So that's what sort of cycled me off of the binge drinking. Uh, which fortunately I've never really gone back to. Good. You know, I can still drink all night. I just can't recover from it. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, it's not. I don't. I, I don't drink. I mean, I drink, but not not like when I used to drink. Yeah. Um. So 
I was at a trade show in Chicago. We had a horrendous trade show on the long heels of a string of awful trade shows. And I was like, listen, we have options here. Like we have a million dollars worth of merchandise. We just liquidate, pay off the bills, close the door, act like nothing ever happened. And uh, we got in a huge fight. And the next, and we were like, fine, fine. Did he not want to sell? Well, I thought we were in agreement that night, but I mean, it's, you know, he changed his mind, which is typical of, you know, our relationship. I, one of my best friends lives in Chicago. I went out that night and got old school drunk. Yeah. Old, old Testament drew drunk. And, um, you know, at one point, probably about four o'clock in the morning, I'm shaking a bottle of Jack Daniels in my hand and, you know, and I, I don't want to work for ch- anymore. Fuck, I wasn't going to say his name. And I don't want to work for him anymore. Um, and, uh, and my buddy Jeremy was like, but see, Drew, you don't work for him. You own the company with him. That's the problem. I'm like, I know. So I didn't sleep all night. I've rolled in, I'm sure, reeking of cigarettes and whiskey. And he's like, okay, you know, we got to hit the floor today. And we, let's just try to save this this trade show as much as we can. I'm like, yeah, no, no, totally. And then, you know, when we get back to New York, we need, I'm like, I thought we were in agreement here. We're done. We're out. And he's like, this has always been my dream. I want to do this jewelry company. I'm like, fine, keep it. Give me the store. It's the last argument we ever had. It was the worst business decision of my entire life, but... Was it? Yeah. Um, I say that. I don't know. Again, that chapter ended. Yeah. I mean, in the same way, you know, I just left a corporate job that I've been there 10 years, um, but it was the right thing at the right time. Um, I I don't typically look back. You know, like when I close a door, I, I will live with that decision and move forward because i mean there's you have no other option at that point anyway yeah and that's the other thing too is like people like my second dui saved my life yeah and at the time it seemed like the worst thing possible but it stopped me from taking a promotion in the restaurant i was working in which would have locked me into that restaurant and i never would have i would have never gotten sober i would have never you know made amends with my ex fiance. like none of that would have happened had i not gotten that second dui and it, but at the time it seemed like the worst decision ever and when i tell people like yeah i've got two duis and i've been arrested eight times they're like oh my god and i go yeah but that's i needed all that to happen and it's just like what you were saying especially about leaving the corporate company you know because that just happened recently but it's one of those things where it's like yeah it's scary and yeah you know things are going to work out a different way but this is what has to happen for me to go yeah i don't think you can reach for something else unless you let go of whatever i mean you just you need it yeah that's um, a great way to put it i never so thought if you're of it struggling like out there it's the second dui that's going that's to what, that's the one you need it's quitting your job <laughs> and just pursuing your dreams that's what's going to do it i wanted to ask you let's go back in time a little bit i wanted to ask you about this acid trip I, I, you said that happened in college yeah uh is this at troy or is this at, no that um, was at auburn, auburn. Okay. um i never um when i was in high school because we've talked a lot about booze and weed, but... When I was in high school, I mean, my dad, I did not have the cool parents by any means. But, you know, my dad sat me down in high school. He's like, you're going to be going to parties. Uh, or, you know, he said, I know you smoke cigarettes. Uh, they kill you. It's stupid. I don't know what else to tell you. I don't give you money for cigarettes. You know, it's stupid. Uh, you're going to be going to parties where there's alcohol. Uh, I'm not telling you you can drink, but if you drink and drive, you know, I'm going to break your legs. We're going to have a problem. Uh, right. Yeah. So... Um, but as long as you're living under my roof, you're not going to do drugs. And not all... Seemed fair. I was like, yeah. all right, that's fine. So I didn't – and I was not ready for drugs uh, when I was in high school at all. Um, 
So when I got into kind of the theater kid world, I started smoking pot. I did get arrested once for marijuana possession. Did you really? I did. I've been, I have spent a night in the Lee County jail. Um, but uh, this one, I think the 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 acid exorier, I did love LSD. I have not done it a ton. Um, I feel like I, I value my experiences with LSD very much. I think I got what I needed to out of it. I got in, I got out, I moved on. I mean, the the idea now of dropping acid impossible, impossible. There's no way. There's no way I could do it now. And the last time I did acid was not a bad trip, but I knew it was my last one, yeah. and I was like, and we're out. Um, but a friend of mine, Amanda, and I had dropped acid, and uh, the live action um, Grinch who stole Christmas had just come out. Jim Carrey. Yeah. So so we go to the movie theater. So I this is an uh I lived in Opelika, which is sort of a uh kind of Auburn Auburn is the college town, Opelika is sort of the bordering industrial town. Okay. Um Norma Ray was filmed there. So uh where I lived, like was right across the street from a big complex that was a big movie theater and a Walmart. And so we packed a little knapsack. I wrote my phone number on my hand so I wouldn't forget it in case I needed to call my roommate. And <laughs> we headed out to to go the landline day. Yeah, to see uh, the Grinch who stole Christmas. So of course the acid kicks in while we're watching the movie. Um, the carpets doing you know this entire wiggity wiggity wiggity. Um, we get done with the movie. We walk outside, and we're standing like kind of on the highway, like we're going to walk back to my place. And I'm like, you know, I'm not scared to cross the street, but I feel like I should be. And she's like, no, I totally feel you. Same way. Same way. <laughs> so like we decided not to cross the street and we went into Walmart instead, which by that point had turned completely into Whoville. And we are surrounded by Who's at this uh, Opelika Walmart. And uh, it's, I guess at some point we ended up Oh, this was like one of the most crushing experiences of my entire life. Oh, it so just got sad. It, it does get sad. So I had I had prepared, you know, whenever I, I did do drugs, whether it was going to be ecstasy or acid, you know, I always like to be well prepared because, you know, just as you move through a trip, having everything you need. In fact, I remember one time we were in – because. In a college town back then, there was either drugs or there wasn't. I mean, yeah. either the town was completely dry, so everybody had it, or you just couldn't be got. We wanted to do acid one night, so I had packed a suitcase uh, that had like some some fun colory things and some lights and some fruity drinks, and it was all ready to go. We ended up not dropping acid. A friend of mine came to spend the night, and he was like, what's that? I explained it to him. And a couple of weeks later, he called me up. He's like, how are you doing, man? I'm like, I'm good. Why? And he was like, well, you know, the last time I was there, you had a suitcase packed just in case you needed to trip at a moment's notice. I just <laughs> am checking in to make sure that you're okay. I was like, no, 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 we're cool. So for this particular trip, I had bought um, I had bought a black light and glow-in-the-dark bubbles. And okay. I didn't tell Amanda about it. And I was like, this is, I mean, it's going to hit at the perfect fucking time. So I put it in the bathroom. I had it all set up. I guess we made it across the street, but... We called my roommate to come and get, I did, the number on the hand, see, thinking. So David came and picked us up, brought us back to the house, and I was like, I want you to take us to the park. And he was like, okay, fine, but I'm going to need to make a sandwich first. I'm like, good, then you'll have somebody to talk to. So he, um, he, we're at the house waiting for David to get ready to take us to the park because we're on acid. And um, we go into the bathroom, like, you're going to love this, Amanda, this is going to be amazing. We go into the bathroom, and... 
uh, I turn off the lights and I get out the bubbles and I turn on the black light and then I dropped it. And the black light? The black light. Oh no. So we never got to have the experience and Aww, and at that moment man. it was just like the the like most earth-shattering experience of my entire life. Like all was lost. Um then we went for a walk in the woods and I remember at one point we're like strolling around and I find this broke down rusty lawnmower. And it was like the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my entire life and I like knelt down and I'm just staring at this uh lawnmower and Amanda <laughs> crouched down next to me and she goes come on we gotta go before you try to take it home and nurse it back to hell <laughs> uh so that was it was that was a good was that the last time that you did that it? was not the last time. so what you said when the last time you did it you're like oh this is the last time but it wasn't a bad trip what kind of so um i did have a bad trip at one point uh, what is that like because that's that is i've done a lot of different drugs but the one thing that has always stopped me from doing hallucinogenics is the fact that everyone's like, oh, well, if you have anxiety, like you could have a really bad trip. And I go, oh, that's all I have is yeah. anxiety. So like I'm not ever touching that. Yeah, it's going to pull out all the bad shit for sure. So you, if you do go into sort of a hallucinogenic experience, you want to make sure you are at your tip top. Yeah, that's what everyone says. Like, you know, clear eyes, full heart, round friends, good mood. So what's weird about the amount of LSD that I've done um, – it all came from the same vial. So I did LSD my very first time, my 21st birthday, and a friend of mine for my birthday gave me this sweet breaths container full of LSD. The um, sweet breaths? Well, but this was like a dup dup okay. sort of, but yeah, same idea. Um, so it was my 21st birthday. Uh, the, I had a f the theme was freaks and geeks. I dyed my hair pink and I had a keg because again, we're in Auburn. Um, so I went in Rome. So... I drank a ton of beer that night and I did LSD for the first time, but I never had a real hardcore, I guess because of the amount of alcohol I drank that yeah. night. So it was like I could drink forever, but I didn't like. And so there's <laughs> there a period of my life where I was walking through life with this little vial of LSD in my Just pocket on you? all the time. So I would like go to parties. I would take one little drop and, you know, each time I did it. It would get like I would see sort of leaves move and stuff. But it was like this little secret that I had going. It was you were microdosing before microdosing. I guess so. So it was cool, and I was and I was like, I don't see. You know, people talk about LSD being a big deal. I don't see what the big deal is. I just it's walk fine. around with it yes. on me at all times. So you really did need to have that suitcase because you could trip at a moment. <laughs> Never knew. So a uh, I a buddy of mine were hanging out. And, you know, most of my friends and again, because I didn't know any gay people. So most of my friends were like stoner, straight dudes, um, kind of comic book uh, uh, game players, even though I wasn't really into that. I was I guess I was like one of those girls that just sat on the end of the couch and watch guys play video games. I don't know. But those were my buddies. I didn't it wasn't necessarily my thing. But anyway, I'm hanging out with a buddy. I was like, hey, I've got some acid. You want to take acid? He's like, yeah, sure. So I collect Pez dispensers. So I always have a ton of Pez at my house. So I got out two Pez and I put them on the counter and I put two drops of LSD on each one. And I took one and I handed one to him and he goes, oh, you know what? I got to work in the morning. I really shouldn't. I was like, what? I was like, dude, I just made an eight hour commitment. What the fuck? And he's like, no, 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 it's cool. I'll take care of you. It's totally fine. So we're over at his trailer. What again, happened to the other Pez? Where, uh, I don't know. 
Um, I didn't know you took that one. I felt like I did, but I don't think I did. I don't know what happened to the other one. Um, So we're over at his trailer again because we're in college. I mean, in Auburn, and trying to explain to people that there are huge trailer parks that college kids live in, and it's like outside of the south they're like that's exactly what we would guess i'm like no 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 but oh no it is it is exactly what it sounds like um but they were a lot of fun and they were just all you know just huge trailer parks full of college kids oh my god um so it's exactly what it sounds like that's exactly what it sounds like i hear the words coming out of my mouth so i'm over at his house are you a game player were you a a game? okay so this the game that they were playing uh this would have been like two thousand so I, I guess this was a Super Nintendo and Nintendo, I don't know. Uh, but you like build a big skate park and then your friends can like do the skate park. Okay, yeah, yeah. So whatever game they were playing. It sounds like Tony Hawk, but I think that's what it was. Yeah. So more and more the original Tony Hawk you could do yeah. that. That came out in the early two thousands on PlayStation. So more and more dudes kept coming over to Brock's house. And he's like, uh, I'm gonna build this uh the skater park. It's gonna be hell, it's gonna be hell, it's gonna be total hell. And then his face changed. And then the walls went on fire. And I'm like, fuck, 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 fuck. Um, you had to say hell three times, Brock. <laughs> yeah, God I mean, damn it. that's how I remember in my mind was just like, hell, hell, hell. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Um, so I go outside by myself. I'm like, cool, get it together, get it together. It's all good. So are uh, the walls, this is, are the walls like on, like in your eyes, the walls are on totally, fire? Totally. This is why I can't do fellas. Um, so I'm like, this is a controlled substance. You control the substance. The substance does not control you. Like I was usually, I was a pretty good drug user as far as just like keeping my shit together. Yeah. Um, and usually helping other people keep their shit together. So I go out on the porch and there was this group of redneck dudes next door that had sort of taken on this sort of country bear kind of imagery in my mind. So they're like, possibly because they're they're, they couldn't even see me. I was literally on the other side of this like divider, like this little porch. Yeah. Um, One of them may have said the word faggot. I don't know. But in my mind, I'm seeing these country bears and like overall going faggot, 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 faggot. I'm freaking the fuck out. Reliable narrator at this point. So I called a buddy of mine that on it, like, (laughs) went on to be one of my really good friends. But at that point, I did not know him really well. However, um, he was one of the most experienced drug people I knew. So I called Clark and I'm like, hey, I'm over at Brock's. I'm on acid. It's really bad. And he's like, okay, 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 cool. Can you get to my house? And I'm like, yeah, I can probably get somebody to drive me over there. I had just... My dad had just bought me a PT Cruiser. They had just come out. Um, So that's what I drove in college. How gay is that? So I have this brand new PT Cruiser that's a stick shift. So I had to go in there on acid, trying to keep my shit together to find somebody that could drive a stick uh, to drive me and my brand new car over to Clark's house. And we're on the way over there. He's like, this is a pretty nice car. What do your parents do? I was like, can we not talk about my parents right now? So you found (laughs) someone to drive you? Yeah, yeah. So his name is 20% Brad because he was cool 20% of the time um, so 20% Brad drives me over to, uh, to what a shitty nickname <laughs> I know I hope I haven't talked to him in 20 years I hope that this podcast doesn't find his ears somehow because that'll break his heart anyway so 20% Brad drives me over to Clark's house <laughs> and I walk in so again I don't know Clark that well Clark and his buddy are sitting on the couch the way I know him is his girlfriend and I are best friends and his girlfriend's out of town he and this dude are sitting on this couch, smoking pot, watching End of Days. 
end of days is pouring out of the television screen onto the floor, and I can literally see the image on the floor in a puddle of the movie itself. Oh, God. Um, and I, I will say again, not knowing him this well, walk right into his house, go and get in his bed, and like get under the covers. <laughs> and I can hear them in the living room. The other dude's like, what the fuck? And he's like, he's on acid. Oh, okay, cool. Um, <laughs> Clark came in, and he had this big poster of that was like you know it was very kind of 90s stoner wall art that was like this endless kind of hand drawing of like castles and paths that lead to yeah and he like wraps me in this this uh poster he's like playing this for a while and i was in there for 20 minutes 40 years i don't know i mean because what is time but and i am just like tripping out on these like so he knew exactly oh fuck yeah again that's why i knew the right person to call um and then you know during that time i guess they the same park that i'm talking about right now he he came he took the poster off of me he had called i heard him on the other room he said listen uh, we're, we got a long night ahead of us. Drew's on acid and we got to babysit him. So another friend came over. They took the poster off of me. They handed me a glow stick and like, you want to go to the park? And I was like, yeah. And uh, and then it ended up being a great trip. But that was like the my experience of finding fucking around and finding out. You know, yeah. I was like, yeah, oh, yeah. OK, this is this is the bad trip. This that is all what they're the talking about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what, I'm so curious about this. When it happens, are you. In your mind, are you just like, oh, I'm trapped here now? Like, this is this is my nightmare. This is my nightmare. I think... Well, because you're so conscious of it, are you like, it's only going to last a couple more hours? I mean, the, the, uh, the metaphor I always tell other people, and again, I have not done drugs uh, like that in 20 years. Yeah. So you've also got to take into account that I was a kid. But um, I always give people the metaphor that like doing drugs is like getting into a pool. And you can like swim out a little bit. You can play a little bit as long as you can always keep one hand, you know, being able to reach the side. But once you swim out too far and then you can't find it and then it's fucking over. Uh, So I'm going to die here. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So that I I don't I think even in the worst of it, I always knew this is a drug. This will go away. Like, it's fine. I I didn't, you know, turn into a glass of orange juice or anything. But I. uh, um, it was it was scary for sure. God, that makes me so. <laughs> I wanted to. Uh, we have time. We have about ten minutes left. I wanted to talk about uh, your friend in Birmingham. Oh, uh, this is my. Fa- this is a story that I have his permission. That I've. I've never been. You know, I love talking about drug stories. I do. I've never found a way to make it work for me on stage. Yeah. I don't know if it's because I'm older and people don't want to hear an old man talk about drugs. You know, I've just recently started doing that bit. About uh, you know about the cocaine and breaking my yeah. toe, which that's true too. That I, I have done cocaine once in the last twenty years, and I did break my toe that night. And now I have my cocaine toe, so it just reminds me not to be a dipshit. Uh, but, <laughs> go home, you old fuck. <laughs> go home, you old fuck. Um, come see my show. So I, uh, what are Birmingham. We Birmingham, right? So this is this is a story that happened to a buddy of mine, but I I wanted to figure out how to work it into my own story because I think it's so funny. So uh, he had gone out drinking. And what year is this? Is this like a long time ago, or is this probably fifteen years ago or okay. something like that? I mean, like he's my age, possibly a little older. So that he was probably mid thirties by okay. that point. So and I 
if I'm not mistaken, he may be sober at this point too. I hope, um, because again, it did didn't usually work out great for him. He was one of my ex drinking buddies, but uh, he had been at a bar. He maintains that he thinks he got drugged. I don't know, but it's I've not the first time right, we've heard this. I've seen him drink, and I'm pretty sure he dosed himself. Uh, but uh, that's my favorite <laughs> when people are always just like, "Oh, someone put something in my drink." It's like, dude, you did 12 shots in 30 minutes. Like, we know what happened. You know what? I want to rescind that. I, I mean, he may have because yeah. it does happen, and yeah. it's not funny. And you know, I to be fair, I've never seen him. You know drive into a parking lot and pass out but anyway he's out drinking somehow ends up in a parking lot by himself in his car and the sun's starting to come up and he wakes up to a cop banging on his window and he looks up and the sun's in his eyes he's like the fuck and he wrote on your window son so he rolls down the window is like you want to tell me what you're doing here and he goes you tell me i just got here <laughs> I think that's so fucking funny, and I've tried to find a way <laughs> to get that into a story, and I've never been able to make it work on stage. Oh, my God. You told me I just got here. <laughs> God, that's hilarious. Have you ever blacked out and then found yourself like in a precarious situation no. like that? No, I'm good. at No, I will. Can you say Irish exit? Is that, is that allowed to be said? I will dip out. Yeah. You know, I usually know like, oh, I've got about 10 minutes and I need to get the fuck out of here right now. I don't, as much as I do enjoy getting fucked up, I don't like feeling like I am not in control when I'm talking to somebody because I like to talk and I like to do stories. And if I can feel myself starting to slur or get tired. Usually I know to dip out. So I don't I don't usually have an issue of blacking out or overdoing it or yeah. anything like that. I usually know it's like, okay, the window the window is closing. Yeah. We gotta get out of here now. <laughs> um well, thank you so much for coming on, fun. man. This was a blast. Plug everything one more time. Talk about your festival. Uh, media, New York Queer Comedy Festival. I've got a show. I asked Brendan to host it. He's going to be hosting one of my shows soon. But next soon. Wednesday at the uh, Greenwich Village Comedy Club at 730. Come out. It's going to be a really fun lineup. And uh, again, if you want to get on stage or you want to see a show, follow me at Drew Tessier NYC. Just reach out. Perfect. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. At Brendan T. Comedy on all social media. Um, and keep an eye out for the one-man show that's getting edited right now and we'll be releasing that in the next month. Uh, we'll talk to you all next week. <laughs>